We, we just celebrated communion together. And we talked about the cross. We talked about the death of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ and, and what that means to us as Christians. It's where we find forgiveness. It's where we find reconciliation with God. It's where we find a place where we can be made right because of our sin. We sang about his death in the songs that we sang this morning. We sang about his blood. And now we're about to preach about his death and his blood and his cross. And we could say, what's all the big fuss about the crucifixion of Christ? Why give such a central and pointed place to the crucifixion and the death of Christ? And the answer really is quite simple, because without it, we are totally lost. Everything in human history hinges around that moment, really. The whole purpose for which you and I are here. You may be atheistic and believe that you're here by chance and that our, our personhood and our, uh, this world in which we live, as complex as it is, just happened um, by chance events. I don't believe that for a second. I believe that God put this world into motion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And before the earth was, there was God. And the whole purpose of us being here was to glorify him. And that glory is centrally focused on his son. I could even say the reason that you exist is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. The reason that people exist in the first place was for that purpose and that reason. And so it's central not just for, for us as Christians, but it's central in history it's central in the entire purpose of the universe and why we see what we see and hear what we hear. And obviously, without Christ and his cross and his crucifixion, there is no Christianity. You know, even from a religious point of view, it would make no sense. The central fact in Christianity is the reality, both historic and eternal, of Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And as such, he's not only the Son of God, he is God the Son. He's the future judge of all human beings. All right, turn with me to John chapter 5. verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to who? To the Son. In order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father 
has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The crucifixion is important because everything hinges on this. Your eternal destiny hinges on this. My eternal destiny hinges on this. Because we will all one day stand before God and give an account of our lives. And the only standing we can possibly have before a God who is perfect and holy and righteous is to have somebody plead our case. We cannot stand on our own. As good and righteous as you may think you are, we are not. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. We all have lust. We all have anger. We all have broken God's law. And we hate that. The law stands over our head like a cloud. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And Christ came and removed us from that through the, through the crucifixion. Because it was at that moment when Jesus was offering himself to God and shedding his blood that God said, I accept your sacrifice on behalf of all men. And he was the only one that could do it because he was the only one who was both God and man at the same time. You, can, you could offer yourself, I suppose, as a sacrifice and say, I sacrifice my life for my sins, but it's, it's no good <laughs> because you're already sinful. The sacrifice isn't right. It isn't pure. It's not clean. But Jesus could do that. Many people today, if they have any spiritual view at all, view Christianity as a moral code. You hear that all the time. It's what Christianity is about, right? Do good to your brother. Just be good. Live a good life. Rather than the good news of salvation in Christ, they view Jesus as a dead teacher, not much more. Somebody who said some good things and you can follow some of the things he said and maybe improve your life. They view spiritual life as a sort of a new age self-help type of thing. You know, to, to lead a stronger life, lead a better life, lead a, a more moral life for whatever that's worth. But to cease to preach Christ is to cease to be a Christian. That's why we do what we do. We have to be reminded of who he is, why he came to the earth, what he accomplished, and how he did it. And you might say, yeah, well... People are struggling with things. People are struggling with their marriages right now. People are struggling with addictions right now. People are struggling um, with the death of loved ones. People are struggling with the heartache of things that have happened in their life. Couldn't you preach on something that will help us? A little more directed toward how to handle these things in life? Isn't that what people need? Why preach Christ? Why preach about the cross? Well, we preach Christ because the beginning and ending of healing for all of those things is the cross. There is no permanent solution for any of these things other than coming to Jesus Christ and letting him cleanse your life. We can how-to ourselves until we're in the grave. But at that point, we meet God. The gospel is a real and powerful 
thing that changes lives from the inside out. It affects everything we do. It affects everything we say. It affects everything we think. And to preach on it, and to think about it, and to teach about it, and to talk about it, and to share in it, is what God calls us to do as Christians. We were at the, uh, small groups last night. and How many of you went to small group this week? Raise your hand. Good number. We're talking about fellowship and what true fellowship really is. And we were talking about developing friendships with people and how strong those friendships can be. And yet, when you're with a brother in Christ who knows the suffering that Christ went through and, and has experienced the same salvation and forgiveness that you have, that relationship can just go so much deeper because it meets us at that, that deeper level. That's what true fellowship is. It's when we share in the sufferings of Christ. And so I think that the cross of Christ begs for our attention. We need to talk about it. I didn't say this to Teresa, and I always am careful about using illustrations from home. But she didn't know what I was going to talk about this morning either. And this morning she came downstairs. I was at the breakfast table with the boys, and she started talking to Ryan and Nathan about communion. And she kept asking the question, why did Christ come? Why did he die? Why did he shed his blood on the cross? And the boys were like, you know, fiddling around and not wanting to answer, but finally we got focused on it, you know. And she brought it into the conversation. That's what we need to be doing. We need to bring the cross of Christ into our conversations of life, because that's what impacts us the most, whether it's a marriage thing, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a struggle in life, whether it's a sinful habit we're trying to get rid of. The cross is where it all gets taken care of. Without it, there is no hope. Without it, there is no true healing in life that takes place. By his stripes, you are healed. And there's a depth of healing that takes place. You and I have, if you've known Christians for any length of time, you know this to be true. When Christ enters the life, the life changes. When God is in your life, everything looks different. You're aware of your sin. You're much more apt to not let your flesh take over and, and do things that you don't want to do. We're in the word of God, so we're teaching ourselves, and we're, we're maintaining that life, and it's the power of God through the cross that begins that whole process. So why talk about the cross? Well, first, because the cross is the centerpiece of God's plan for giving his grace to people on the earth. It's how he does it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Money doesn't do it. Money cannot buy you salvation. You cannot buy your way to God. You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. This was God's plan from the beginning, before the world was even made. 
to send a redeemer into the world to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin and to show love and mercy and forgiveness and to make those things real. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own are known by me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with the shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. This was God's plan. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. It's through the cross. We give the cross centrality not only because it's the centerpiece of God's plan, in giving his grace to the world, but because it is the only sacrifice for sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's why we preach it. It's, it's, that's, it's that important. We preach the cross and give centrality to the crucifixion. Third, because it satisfies the wrath of God for sin. Like we've already mentioned, when you stand before God, there's only one person who can plead your case, and that's Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says, Through him, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The peace we have with God comes through our connection to Jesus Christ by faith and what he did on the cross. Fourth, because it secures our justification and our adoption and guarantees our future hope. And we, we sing about these things all the time. We sing about heaven. We sing about the hope that we have for the future. But it's all anchored in the crucifixion. It's anchored in the cross. I read Romans 5.9 as we were taking communion. Much more than having been now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's our hope, to have a standing before God, to stand before God like a judge and be acquitted, released into the joy of life. The cross secured that. For us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I try to imagine it sometimes. Maybe you do too. We have little glimpses in the word of God um, of what that reality will be. But man, I'm looking forward to it. To be in a place where there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no struggle, there's no death. Just life. Continual life. It's an awesome hope. Another reason is because it sets the standard, as I've mentioned, of true self-giving love. 
We talk all the time about love. Love one another. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Parents, love your kids. Love, you know, love. Jesus said they'll know you are disciples by the love that you have one for another. But what do we use as a standard for love? How do we know whether we're truly loving somebody? Well, that is the standard. What Jesus Christ did was a total self-sacrificial giving of, of his own life. That's the ultimate love, isn't it? And so it becomes the standard for our humility and our love. And every time you hear Paul teaching about it in the New Testament, he connects it back to the cross. Ephesians 5.2 says, walk in love. So we could just stop right there and say, okay, love, just love. Just you know, do the best you can and, and, and love people. But he doesn't. He says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And there's the standard, and he draws, he draws back to the cross. He says, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for, you, for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, which is a fragrant aroma. It's a, it's a pleasing thing to God. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so we preach the cross because it should be central in our thinking. It also models endurance. In the face of pain, how often do we talk about the trials that we experience in life? Life isn't easy. Life comes at us hard. Circumstances change. People hurt us. How do we handle these things? Why do we keep going on? Why do people give up? What did Jesus do for you? He endured the cross. Despising the shame First Peter 1 says, you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so just as the love that the cross showed becomes our standard of love, so the sacrifice and suffering that he accomplished for us on the cross becomes our standard of enduring trials, going through the trials, knowing that God will bring us through in the end and there's an ultimate purpose for it all. Things don't just happen for no reason. I want you to turn in your hymnal to, to 185. We sang the song earlier, but listen to what the, what the words say. Extremely meaningful. When I look at the cross, when I see the cross and I survey the cross and I think about the cross and I study it and think about what God did there, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, what's he come to a conclusion with? My richest gain. There's nothing else in the world that can compare with what you can gain at the cross. My richest gain, whatever I can gain in this world, whether it's popularity or fame or wealth, or whatever you think is going to float your boat, my richest gain, I count but loss. I'm going to throw that away. Why? And pour contempt on all my pride because of what I can gain at the cross. It's that important. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, except in the death of Christ, my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? If the whole realm of nature were mine, 
that would be a present far too small. If God, if, if I had the entire world as a possession, that would be a present too small in comparison to the amazing love that God has given to me at the cross. Love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul. It demands my life. It demands my all. And so I propose to you this morning that the cross needs to be central in our thinking daily. Part of our life, part of our fellowship, part of our being because it affects us so much. My text this morning that I really want us to walk away with would be 1 Corinthians 1. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2. I'd like you to turn there. And again, just to make the point, as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, anybody who's read the book of Corinthians knows that Corinth had a lot of problems. This church was rife with problems. There were divisions, there was boasting, pride, a lack of discernment, um, a lack of spiritual growth. They should have been stronger by now, but they were still babes in Christ, he said. Um, improperly treating their leadership, immorality. They were bringing lawsuits against each other as brothers in Christ. There was misunderstanding about marriage. There was misuse and abuse of spiritual gifts within the church. We already mentioned there was an abuse of, of the Lord's Supper going on in the church. So there's a lot to deal with in that church. And Paul dealt with it all. He addressed each one of those. But I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming, but proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The problems of immorality, how were they going to be solved? Turning over a new leaf? All right, it's a new year. I'm just going to resolve. I'm not going to do that anymore. No. There had to be a divine power that was at work in the lives of those people, and it came through Christ. I, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. How were they going to solve their problems, the, the fighting that was going on between them? They were so upset with each other, they were bringing each other to court. How's that going to be solved? What's our standard of love? It's Jesus Christ on the cross. When we go back and we look at the cross and we see the love that God gave to us, it flows out of us then. We have that standard and we, we are called to love that way. If you love that way, are you going to take a brother to court? Not and feel good about it. And know it's wrong. How do all these things come to pass? Paul addresses each of these issues head on, but as he addresses them, I challenge you to read it through, he always connects it back to the cross of Christ. Every single time. He brings Jesus Christ into the equation. And what he did. So the truth about God, about life, about sin... And judgment cannot come from human wisdom. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And Paul makes it clear that what he was teaching wasn't from his own mind. 
but it was the testimony of God, he says in verse 1. So what can we learn? What can we walk away this morning as we think about the crucifixion? I'd like to lead you just in a couple of areas of thought before we close this morning and think about what Jesus did, how he did it, why he did it, and how that has a bearing on our life. The first thing I'd like to point out about the crucifixion is that this was ordered by God. This was planned by God from eternity past. There are many who look at the history of what happened in the life of Jesus and will paint the picture that the death of Christ was just the death of a martyr who was killed by Rome. He was executed because he was a rebellious leader of a faction that was going to somehow upset the delicate balance that Rome was trying to create in Judea. And that, that's, that was it. It was so much more than that. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Not long after the death of Christ, his apostles began to go out and minister to people. And they took the gospel. They took the message of Jesus Christ out to the surrounding towns and areas and countries. And in Acts chapter 2, we read the first sermon that Peter preached about Jesus Christ after his crucifixion and resurrection. So there's a group of men and women standing in a, in a, in a large crowd. He's preaching to them. And it starts in verse 14, and he, and he goes through from the very beginning about who Jesus is and why he came and, and all of this. And he gets to verse 22, and he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you know yourselves, this man delivered up. So skip the next phrase and just go to the last phrase. Delivered up to a cross by the hands of godless men. And we could look at it that way. That's the history of what happened. The Romans did put him to death. He stood before Pilate. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was questioned. They couldn't, they couldn't find anything wrong, but they killed him anyway. But what does it say? Verse 23. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This was decreed in heaven before time began. He was nailed to the cross, not just by the Romans and not just by the Jews, not just by us or whoever else you might want to blame for the crucifixion of Christ. God planned this. It was his idea. Who else would have come up with it? It's a crazy idea, isn't it? It's not according to human wisdom. You want to fix a marriage, how do you do it? Yeah, figure out what's wrong and do something different in your life, right? Change something. Walk a different way. Look at how other people have had good marriages and do what they do. No, God says, come to the cross. Look at my son. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. It's a soul thing. It gets down deep into the heart. And when you receive the forgiveness of Christ that way, everything begins to change. And you have a, you have a solid foundation upon which to build your life. 
It was an act of God's sovereignty. He made him to be sin for us. It was God's choice, which makes it absolutely sure. We didn't come up with this. This was all of God. It was an act of God's love. It was the greatest form and expression that God could give to us of his love. And there really is no higher love than that. You can think of all the ways that you can show love to another person. Right? You can show affection to them. You can tell them that you love them. You can serve them. You can give them presents. You can buy them things. How how do you show love to somebody? You can be there for them. Be there with them during difficult times. But what's the ultimate test of love? your own sacrifice of yourself for another person. So it was an ultimate act of love. It was also an ultimate act of justice. And I don't know what you think about the justice of God. Most people, when I talk to them about God's hatred of sin and his judgment on sin, get very defensive. I don't know if you found this to be true. And, and very offensive about attacking God on this point. How could God put somebody in eternal judgment for their sin? That's not fair. We're just human beings. He's God. How can that be fair? But it is. If there was somebody who broke into your house tonight, an evil man, and he killed your family, raped and killed your family, perpetrated against you a horrible, horrible crime. It's wrong. It's against the law. It's against decency. It's against humanity. And this man left nothing unturned. He stole from you. He took your family from you. He killed people that you love. And a couple days later, you get a call from the police that they've caught the man. He's in custody. Are you glad? You're still reeling from what happened, I suppose, but are you glad that he's caught? Who wouldn't be? So the justice system begins to turn. He goes, he's arraigned, he's in jail. And finally the day of his trial comes and you're there. You're sitting in the courtroom. Man is guilty as guilty can be. No question about what he did. Prosecution makes its case. The defense really doesn't have much to stand on, but they try. And in the end, he's guilty of the crime that he committed. And the judge then stands up and says... Okay, we're done. You're free to go. Go ahead. Just go live your life. Are you satisfied with that? What kind of a judge would that be? Would you call him a good judge or a bad judge? Absolutely horrible. If he doesn't execute judgment in a right way against that man who committed that crime, you're going to cry out and say, Foul! You need to to do something to that guy. Because he committed a crime. Why? Why do, we, why do we even think that? It's because of what true justice is. 
And God is absolutely just, and he cannot overlook sin, and he won't. And we're just like that man. We're going to stand before the judge, and we are guilty. And you'd expect God to just say, okay, you're free to go. No, there has to be payment for sin. There has to be payment for, for crime, for inequity, for all of those things. And so the cross is an act of justice. That's where the justice of God was met. It's where his demands for justice for sin was met. And it was met by your Savior because you couldn't do it. We're helpless. When we were yet helpless, Christ died for sin. He voluntarily did this for you. So the crucifixion was ordered by God. And it wasn't easy or pleasant for Christ, was it? What did he give up? He had an eternal relationship with God that goes back to the beginning, before the beginning of time. And in John 17, it says, I gave up the glory that I had with thee before the world began. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. And I don't know what all that means. We can get into, you know, that's another discussion for another time. Does that mean that he emptied himself of his divine attributes for a time? How could the God of the universe enter into a human baby and become a newborn and grow as a man? It's, it's a mystery. It's hard to, to, to describe and figure out. But that's what the scriptures say. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He sacrificed himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he came to the earth with the full knowledge of knowing what he was going to do. He told his disciples, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It was totally willing, that famous statement, not my will, but thine be done, as he said in the garden. The bitterness of his suffering could go through and talk about the, the crucifixion itself and how horrible that is. It was meant for slaves and for thieves. It wasn't a noble death. They stripped people down naked and they hung them up on a cross to die slowly in front of everybody. They were to be served as an example. Only the lowest of the lower were executed that way. The upper part of the Roman citizenship were exempt from crucifixion. It was too horrible. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do it to each other. And yet Christ subjected himself to that. He became a curse for us in Galatians 3.13. And that's probably the worst of it, you know, as far as Christ is concerned. Probably more dreadful than all the outward pain and bodily punishment. And the crucifixion bears fruit that makes it worthy of our study. We've, we've touched at some of that. God's wrath was appeased. We're freed from the law. Man, we could go down that road. The law just is like a hammer over your head. Every time you do something wrong, whack, you did it wrong. Whack, you did it wrong. Whack, you shouldn't have lied. Whack, you shouldn't have done that. Whack, that's what the law does. It just, it kills us. And Jesus Christ came and said, you're forgiven. You're out from underneath that law. And you can live in the grace of God. And God will be with you and God will help you and he'll strengthen you. We're freed from the law. He's removed our guilt. He's promised to sanctify us and be with us. And he opened heaven to us. All of this was from the cross. And so why is the 
the cross so central in our thinking and our life. It's for all those reasons. Go back to our verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, as we close. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So let's be thankful this morning in our heart. Let's delight in what we know to be true of the cross. Let's make it a point to bring the crucifixion and the death of Christ into our life, into our daily conversation, and realize how powerful that is because it's where our life begins and it's where the life of God enters your life and changes you. So I hope that's been encouraging to you um, as you consider these things, and I hope that we'll make some application uh, as best we can as brothers and sisters in Christ as we uh, help each other and love each other in the coming days to remember that Jesus Christ should be central in his crucifixion, right dead center in our thinking. Let's pray, and we will move on. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us, and we are so thankful that your death appeased your wrath, gave us a justification, gave us reconciliation with, with God, and is the place where our life begins to change for the better. It's a place where our, our sins and our, our flesh can be crucified with him, and we can now have something upon which to stand where we can build our lives according to your word. And so I thank you for that. Thank you for um, your love that was displayed on the cross. Thank you for the suffering of Christ on our behalf and the way that that just impacts our minds and and thinking. And pray that um, these thoughts might linger with us even as we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen.